everybody, boys and girls. Welcome back once again to Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host tonight, Nick Pollock, and I'm joined once again by my lovely co-host, Matthew Filipovitz. Matt, you know, I wish we were talking under better circumstances, but how are you doing tonight? I am doing overall pretty well. I think I need to be banned um, from podcasts going forward, previewing games, um, or at least the week ahead of a game, because the Illinois recap last year ahead of the Ohio State game, I was on and Penn State lost that game. And then it happened again this past week. So I will take the blame on this one. You know, it's that combined with the fact that you you voiced on the last podcast that you actually predicted this game to be a loss before this season started i think the evidence is really stacked against you here yeah i'm a coward and i changed it in my uh in my game preview and i'm upset that i did <sighs> well you know as always if you have any complaints to make send them over to uh at psu matt 2005 on twitter um but yes the, the story of this game uh penn state number four previously soon to be previously number four penn state fell to soon to be rising number 17 minnesota on the road 31 to 26 it was a it was a weird game and we're going to get into that in just a minute here but kind of the story of the game is that Tanner Morgan was basically able to do whatever he wanted against this Penn State defense uh, finished up 18 for 20 through two incomplete passes he threw more interceptions than he did incomplete passes in this one 18 for 20 339 yards averaged 17 yards an attempt uh, Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson were both just absolute monsters for the Gophers. Those two combined for 14 catches for 307 yards and two touchdowns. Just an absolute monster day for those guys. The def- the Minnesota defense didn't do a whole lot in stopping the Penn State offense until they got in the red zone. Again, something we'll get to in just a little bit here. Penn State, for their part, Sean Clifford ended up 23 of 43 for 340 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. We'll that seems get... fake to me. I that, know. That it's... seems fake. When I, when we were just talking before we started recording, but I, I thought I had the wrong stats up because I honestly didn't believe that he threw for 340 because Tanner Morgan's 339 felt like a lot more yards than Sean Clifford's 340. Yep, it absolutely did, and... Yeah, yeah, and we'll get there in a second. Uh, Penn State on the ground did a nice job. Journey Brown had what you could probably call a career day for him. 14 carries, 124 yards, 8.9 per attempt, and two touchdowns, including that long 45-yard touchdown run. And um, no negative K- rushes, which is really And cool. no negative rushes, which is huge. Uh, K.J. Hamler and Pat Firemuth both had seven catches, both went over 100 yards. Uh, there were a lot of guys involved in the receiving game, but not nearly as many as there should have been. We'll get to Justin Shorter, unfortunately, here in a bit. Um, and then the Penn State defense, you know, they they weren't... I, I, I'm not going to go out and say they were terrible, but there were a lot, a lot of plays left on the field, and it's something that Matt actually did a great job of writing about for the site, and we're going to get into that as well. Um, so... It, it, it's hard to really tell the story of this game without breaking it down into parts. So let, let's start with just, Matt, what were your key takeaways from this game? And let's start with the offensive side of the ball. What What is the big thing that you took away from this game uh, when you're thinking about Penn State's offense? Uh, the biggest thing I took away was Penn State has to live and die by the big play. Because when they get inside the 20, they really, really struggle. They The play calling inside the red zone this week, I think was some of the worst we've seen in a long time. Um, I think the, the decision-making down there wasn't great either. Uh, most notably that 
field goal instead of going for it um, when you would have had the ball? Would it would, would it have been inside the one with the penalty coming in? Uh, uh, probably, yeah. Uh, I think a healthy Noah Kane, that decision is a lot different. Um, but my biggest takeaway is Penn State needs to figure things out in the red zone because they just haven't lived up to with how much talent they have and the big bodies they have they should be able to put up points consistently in the red zone that just wasn't the case yeah ricky ronnie offensive coordinator for penn state took a lot of flack in the aftermath of this game i i don't think all of it was deserved because from 20 to 20 this penn state offense was borderline unstoppable this for was most the best of the game from 20 to 20 this is the best performance they've had all season yeah, they they were able to both pass and run the ball with the type of efficiency that we haven't really seen from this offense all year. But you're right, once they got into the red zone, it was it it was a disaster. And I I'm working on something right now where I'm going back and looking at kind of the totality of this season inside the red zone. But it it was it was truly it was truly pretty awful on Saturday. At one point, I know they were one for four scoring touchdowns inside the red zone, which is absolutely unheard of for a team that has Pat Fryermuth and has the running back talent that Penn State has, any quarterback that has the ability to move the way Sean Clifford does. It, it, there's, there's just no excuse for being that inefficient in the red zone. And as good of a game as Ricky Ronnie called from 20 to 20, that is how bad he was at times in the red zone because there were also times when he called a great game inside the red zone. We saw that great play to Nick Bowers. We saw uh, we saw some play, some other plays that were well-designed. It didn't work out, like the two-point conversion call to Ricky Slade. But that one, the one possession when Penn State was down 12 points and they came away with nothing inside the, inside the red zone, they went for it on fourth down. That was the the ill-fated screen attempt to KJ or not screen uh fade attempt to KJ Hamler that series of four plays may have been may have been the most uninspiring set of four plays that Ricky Ronnie has called this year yeah that that was abundantly frustrating one thing that I kept on thinking about was he hasn't played a lot but Zach Kuntz is six seven and there really should be a play where you just line him up out wide and just let him catch it uh, he's he redshirted you're not wasting one of his games by doing that uh, I was I was really surprised that it went, after the first three plays didn't work that that wasn't something that they had in their bag of tricks to go to I think that and just the, the so for those that don't remember this this set of four consecutive play calls it was a Devin Ford run Devin Ford run a jet sweep read option that Clifford decided to hold and tried to go up the middle with and got stuffed. And then they threw a fade to KJ Hamler in the corner against a cornerback who was at least four inches taller than he is. It's, it's mind blowing to me. And I believe I, I get that they were paying extra attention to Pat Fryermuth, especially inside the red zone, but it blows my mind that we didn't see the play that honestly is Penn state's bread and butter in the red zone, which is that, Fryermuth lined up as the H back. It's the read option where Fryermuth comes across the formation and he makes the decision to either block that end or he just keeps running outside. And not I mean, that is that is the for my money, that is the best play that Penn State runs. Yeah, it they, works. They scored every against Michigan State with that. Yeah. 
it is it works every single time they run it. They either get it on they either get it with the running back or they get it with Firemouth. And sometimes they get it with Clifford too. Sometimes he just keeps it and runs it. It is it blows my mind that that was not they had four chances and that that was not one of the play calls. It blows my mind. Yeah, now I'm with you. Um, yeah, like you said, Ronnie, I think called a fine game overall. I think, yeah, you put it best. Twenty to twenty, this this Penn State offense could not be stopped. And just once they got inside, I don't know what it was. Uh, if they were rattled by something, um, it just it just was really bad. Blake Gilligan punted twice, which is insane to me that they that they weren't able to score more points when this bigger punch only punts twice. But that just speaks to where their drives ended and how they ended there. Yeah, I mean, this game in total, it Minnesota punted four times and Penn State punted twice. That, if you had told me, if you look at the score of this game and you told me that, I would say, how is that possible? It's, it it was an un, unbelievably frustrating game to watch as a fan. And I think the thing that made it so frustrating, I think something that I've been, something that I've kind of been going back and forth with in my mind is, I thinking back to last year when James Franklin gave that speech in the aftermath of the Ohio state game and talked about how this team wasn't elite. I, at the time I thought it was fair. I, I don't, I didn't think that team was elite and I think it's still fair. And I think this game really shows the difference. Why? Because when you think back, when you, when you look at the elite teams in college football, would you agree that you would say that elite elite group is Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, most of the time, Georgia, and at least this year, LSU. Would you agree with that? Um, I don't know. Maybe I take Georgia out. Um, yeah, I, just, I, just because if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna put Penn State in that category um, or leave them out, I think it has to. We have to have the same case as Georgia. Uh, and I know Georgia's been to the playoff, um, but Georgia has a very bad loss at home, um, and they lost to Texas in the bowl game. I think Georgia, like Penn State, is a fringe elite team. But I think it's I think it's LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Alabama are the elites. That's fair. Um, but when you think about those teams, so kind of the easy one to focus on is the, the, the familiar one in Ohio State. Ohio State has two really bad losses in the last two years. They got smoked by Iowa and they got smoked by Purdue, two teams that they had absolutely no business losing to. The difference with those games as compared to this game for Penn State, in the in that Purdue and Ohio and Iowa games, they I mean, you can't look back on those and consider them anything but a fluke. I mean, yeah, Iowa and Purdue both played out they played their absolute best football in those games. But you can't look back at that and say that if you played those games a hundred more times, Ohio State maybe loses what, a total of three of them, honestly. This this Penn State game felt different because the, Minnesota won this game when that first interception happened. When Antoine Winfield picked off that first interception, we're going to talk about that pick more in a second here. When he picked off that first interception, that allowed Minnesota to dictate to dictate the course of this game, and it never changed from there. And yeah, yeah, it felt it, very Pitt twenty sixteen to me. Yeah, it, it felt it wasn't, very Pitt twenty sixteen. It wasn't a fluke. It was Penn State just got straight up beat. And Penn State played really poorly. Don't get me wrong. They 85% of the roster had probably its worst game of the season. But they, from minute one, they were just beaten. It wasn't a fluke at all. It was just a straight up 
beating. And I think that's the difference. And that's, in a lot of ways, we've talked about this a lot in the past. Penn State has arrived on this national scene sooner than they should have. They James Franklin inherited a roster that was, you know, Bill O'Brien did some great things while he was here. Most of those great things were done with upper-class players and guys that, you know, just weren't going to be here for too long in the Franklin era. It should have taken James Franklin longer to build a build his team to this point. And it didn't. They had an incredible game against Ohio State back in 2016 that immediately vaulted them onto the national stage, and they haven't looked back. But it's in games like this, it's in games like the Michigan State game the last few years that you can really see the difference between them and the elite, elite teams. It's just the, t- the same the same talent is not there. There's still a gap that exists. And I think that, that to me, is what really showed in this game. Yeah, they're getting closer. Um, I disagree that Penn State got the national scale earlier than it should be because Penn State hired James Franklin to do that. James Franklin won nine games at Vanderbilt. Nobody's ever going to win nine games at Vanderbilt ever again. Well, I don't say nobody, but it's going to take a special coach to do it. I just think when they're up against a roster with similar talent or if they shoot themselves in the foot, this team is going to have a hard time coming back. And I I said it on the preview podcast, PJ Fleck is the kind of coach who can do more with less. And that's a really special quality for me to have in a head coach. And at home with a great game plan with screen passes. And and I, I wrote about this in the site and we'll talk about it more when we talk about the defense, but I don't think James Franklin got this team earlier. I just think PJ Fleck outcoached them. And I think PJ Fleck is going to start to build a monster out West very soon. Yeah. I, you know, that that's totally fair. I, I definitely when when what, I, when I said what I said, I was not giving enough credit to PJ Fleck because you're right. Minnesota came into this game, the more prepared team, and they came into this game, the team that was more, that was better equipped to respond to the flow of the game. We didn't really see much of an adjustment from Penn State until, what, midway through the third quarter, maybe? I guess you could say the entire... They only gave up seven points in the second half, so I guess you could say the second half as a whole. But, um, yeah, no, you're totally right. I, P.J. Fleck, what what he and his coaching staff did in this game was uh, nothing short of phenomenal. Yeah, he's a, he's a great coach, and that bodes really well for Penn State. Um not so much for the playoff picture anymore because the path is a little bit different now. And we'll touch on that. I'm sure a little bit later, but he's building something special and that's a, that's a tough loss to swallow. But I think we're going to look back on that loss in about a month and say, okay, that's understandable. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where this Minnesota team ends up because they have, they have a pretty tough road ahead. They still have to play Wisconsin. They still have to play Iowa. And while we know that both of those teams are beatable, it's, you know, it, it's the same thing for Penn State. It's really, really hard to go undefeated in college football. It, it There's a reason that when the first playoff rank, college playoff rankings come around and the last college playoff rankings come around, suddenly there's a lot, a lot fewer undefeated teams. It is a really, really difficult thing to do. I don't think Minnesota is incapable of finishing this regular season out without a loss, but they're going they're going to be in some dogfights here as the season closes including you know uh, 
God, I was about to start talking about Northwestern again. <laughs> Look oh, what God. we've done. Oh, Look God. what we've we done. We gotta stop. We gotta stop. They oh, scored. They, all right, Northwestern. They scored this weekend. Good for them. Like the first time in like a month and a half. Good job. Fire offensive staff. There we well, go. We'll, we'll get we'll get to the Wildcats later on. Um, so before we before we kind of dive into a few of those other things we've talked about, uh, just really quick, looking at the defensive side of the ball, what is your key takeaway for Brent Pry's defense here? And I know there there's a lot of things we could talk about here. Yeah, I, I wrote about this on the site, and for a long time since the 2016 Rose Bowl, the narrative in a lot of Penn State's losses has been, well, they would have won if insert quarterback name here didn't have the game of his life. It started with Sam Darnold in the Rose Bowl, and then it happened with JT Barrett in the in the collapse in Columbus, which I'm going to start calling it that because trademark. That's, that's catchy. It is pretty good. I'm proud of it. Um, Lewerke, the next game, uh, it went away mostly in 2018. And then this season, they keep on allowing quarterbacks to have career days against them. And we were able to overlook it, I think, because Penn State was winning and because the secondary was relatively young and inexperienced in the two deep, but with four upperclassmen starters, uh, it really should have been something we talked more about. And, you know, and that's going to happen. It's going to take a loss for us to really evaluate these kind of things. But this secondary uh, for years now just hasn't lived up to the hype and, and it's frustrating. And you can, you can say this fantastic performance by, um, by Tanner Morgan was mostly on him. It was on a great game plan, a lot of really great screens, um, really taking advantage of the zone. I thought some really poorly called safety blitzes by the defensive staff. Um, again, they only gave up seven points in the second half, but they dug themselves a deep hole and they just weren't able to dig themselves out of it. So I thought it was a very, a very, very frustrating game from what Penn State needs to be its strength uh, if they want to make it through November um, with at least one loss or two losses. I think two two key questions I have to touch on a few things you just said how many blitzes aside from micah parsons sack on that last minnesota drive which was just if he's perfect (laughs) take a tangent for a second that play that micah parsons made do you realize i don't think people realize how athletic and how quick you have to be to in such a tight space have the have the ability to shake a center an offensive lineman a minnesota offensive lineman the way he did but not only to get him off balance but to get around him essentially untouched that was a you know i i don't think he's going to end up winning any national awards this year just because yeah he's he's still he's still a pretty young guy and there's some pretty outstanding linebackers that are putting up bigger numbers than he is but that's the kind of play that you're that you're going to see on highlight tapes next year when he's an NFL draft prospect. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I, I don't think we realize how lucky we are that we have Micah Parsons. He's, yeah, he's, he's, so he's good. incredible. He's so he's good. incredible. He's only going to get better. That's the hilarious part. Yeah. Uh, but thinking back to this game, so how many blitzes aside from that Micah Parsons blitz? I, we saw Lamont Wade going a lot after the quarterback in this game. Was he the one who blitzed on the, on their first long touchdown? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. That, oh my God. That that drove how me many insane. Of, how, how many of those blitzes, blitzes got home? I don't think any. I couldn't name any. Right. Uh, how many? To- how many times? Um, Tanner Morgan was sacked once, and that would have been Micah Parsons. That Micah yeah, Parsons. Sacked. That was it. And they they got pressure on him a few more times, but that they they were remarkably unsuccessful 
with making his day difficult on those blitzes. And then the second half of my question here is, aside from the third Minnesota touchdown, I want to say it was the third one, the one-handed catch, I think it was I think it was Tyler Johnson that caught that one. I may be misremembering. It was either Bateman or Johnson. The one-handed touchdown catch with, um, I think it was Keaton Ellis on him. Aside from that catch, how many Minnesota receptions do you remember that were contested? Oh, wow. None, because they threw them all at the line of scrimmage and let them go to work. They, that I think that's that's the big thing with Brent Pry's defense. And I think, like you said, we've we've kind of we've gotten to a place where we don't really question the defense because when they're, when they're doing well, they're doing really, really well. But when teams come out with a game plan like Minnesota had, when they just get into a rhythm, throw quick passes, quick slants all day long, anybody who does that against Penn state is going to have the opportunity to move the ball. Yeah. They're going to use, this is a fast defense and they're going to use the speed against them. And when, they want to rush the passer, and that speed puts them five yards up the field and out of the play. That's that; those little short passes are going to be super successful. Yeah, and for whatever reason, Brent Pie, Brent Pie, Brent Pry seems morally opposed to having his cornerbacks press at the line of scrimmage. We just don't see it. No, we we. So I'm I'm going to go on a tangent, a little bit of a tangent, a mini. Please tangent do. Here. Brent Pry should have seen that they weren't getting home and that the game plan was becoming throw short passes. Micah Parsons' sack came late in the fourth quarter. Pry's a great co- coach. No one's going to question that. I think everybody on the defense is, is, is a pretty solid coach overall. But they need to realize that's not working and find a way to adjust. We, we saw it against Ohio State the last two years with the, with the short passes. Brent Pry, I think, is very stubborn, and if it's worked in the past, I think he just thinks it's going to keep on working, and that wasn't the case, and that's what killed Penn State, I think, was stubbornness more than anything else, and a failure to recognize the game plan or a failure to be willing to recognize that the original game plan wasn't working. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's something that uh, I'm not going to say has been a not not necessarily a yearly problem for this defense. I, I it's like you like you wrote about it's been an issue for Penn State's defense under Brent Pry and even going back to before Brent Pry I I think um the, it's just I don't know. It, it's and I'd like you to actually touch on what you wrote a little bit more here, but it's after after how many how many all-time performances does it take against Penn State to be willing to admit that there's a problem. I think this has to be the last one. I, I, I think you've let mediocre quarterbacks do it too many times. Um, let me let me pull up what I wrote for the site because I'm just going to go through the numbers from this year alone. Um, so omitting Donald in 16, um, Barrett and Lewerke in 17, and then nobody really did it in 18. But um, Idaho, nothing really major happened there. But Buffalo quarterback Matt Myers, he's appeared in only five games, uh, and he threw for 245 against Penn State, and that's a season high by almost 100, 100 yards. If you add up his passing yardage totals against Liberty, Temple, and FCS Robert Morris, it's only 53 more yards than he threw for against Penn State. That's ridiculous. Uh, this Penn State defense hangs its hat on dominating people, and when and a, a G5 team 
their totals against two other G5 teams and FCS team is not that much more than they threw for against you as one team, that's terrible. Uh, Kenny Pickett tore him apart. He set new career highs in attempts and passing yards in, in their loss. Um, Nate Stanley uh, had his best game against Penn State this year. Uh, Shea Patterson really aired it out a lot. 41 passes, the most he's had since transferring to Michigan. Um, and then uh, the 276 passing yards he threw for was second most against a Big Ten op opponent, tied with Maryland and only behind Rutgers. Penn State's defen defense isn't on the same plane as those two. They should be light years ahead. So it's just it, it's so frustrating that they can't seem to figure out how to stop it. And I think the narrative now has to change to, oh, they're just having the game of their life to Penn State's allowing these guys to have the games of their life and, and something has to be done or else this is going to keep happening every year. And to play devil's advocate to this for a second, yeah, I think you also need to consider the fact that Penn State is leading often in a lot of these games, especially when you expand it to the to those JT Barrett performances. Uh, Penn State was leading in that game, but I, I I think I think you're right. It's you know it's for as well as Penn State has done to get leads in those games and to shut down the running games of those opposing teams. It, it's one thing to be able to do that. It's another to be able to, we talk a lot about being able to close games. And for years, we've talked about Penn State's inability to do that on offense. And we haven't focused as much on the defense's inability to do it because they at least have done it with at least some regularity as compared to the offense. But when you expand it out to these games that maybe we don't talk about it as much, like those Ohio State performances and the Michigan State performances, this Brent Prize defense really has struggled in those situations. And this Tanner Morgan performance, I mean, kid's been good this year. Don't get me wrong. He's been a great quarterback for what Minnesota has faced. You cannot allow Tanner Morgan to go 18 of 20 for 339 yards and 17 yards average per attempt. If you want to be or per, the, per completion, excuse me. If you want to be in the playoff conversation, Tanner Morgan's nowhere near the level of, think about these names, Justin Fields, Tua Tagovailoa, and Trevor Lawrence, and Joe Burrow. You're going to tell me you don't think those guys can do even better than Tanner Morgan can? Uh, I, I think this really proves that a lot of us were really naive as to how far away Penn State is from that truly upper echelon of college football. And that actually brings me to the the other thing I wanted to talk about here perfectly. Uh, when we talk about when we talk about Penn State in this elite discussion, like you said, right? Like they're Penn State, this defense right now, it's hard to think that they would do anything but get torched by any of those quarterbacks. Yep. I think at this time next year, I think there's a pretty good chance that a lot of us are looking back and saying something along the lines of, man, I wish we had this Sean Clifford last year. Or a lot of us are looking at this year, this team right now and saying, man, I wish we had 2016 Trace McSorley quarterbacking this team. But you, you get what I'm saying. Like there's every year it seems to be, oh, I, I wish we had this guy from just one year ago on this team. Or I wish we I wish you could just kind of pick and choose these pieces to build this team this year. Then we'd be unstoppable. To me, that's the big difference with Penn State as compared to those elite programs right now. Because 
Ohio State doesn't have to worry about having, oh, I wish I had this Sean Clifford last year. They have this Sean Clifford every year. They don't have to worry about that. Clemson, yeah, Clemson got legendarily uh, fortunate going from Deshaun Watson to a pretty a pretty spectacular Kelly Bryant for most of the time to Trevor Lawrence, but they don't have to worry about having that 2016 defense right now. If we just had that defense, we'd be really good. And I think that's that's the key difference is that those those top top of the barrel teams don't have to think what if I had this defense now? What if I had this offensive player now? They have those guys all the time. Can I ask you a brutally honest question? Please, Please do. Do you think Penn State can get there? I think they can. And this is kind of what I was getting at with the that they got to this they got to this point sooner than I thought they were ready to do. And I think that has changed the fans' expectations by a lot. Because realistically, I mean, think about Clemson. I I know we keep talking about them, but they're they're a really good comparison for Penn State. If you think about Clemson right now, you can't think about anything other than this dynamic, unstoppable (coughs) powerhouse that is in the national conversation every single week. But all you have to do is go back, what, five years, and you have this team that is perennially the they're like they were like the indiana of top 10 teams they would always get really really close but then they would there was literally a a word that was made for losing big games clemsoning was a thing not so long ago and the indiana of top 10 teams (laughs) that is my absolute favorite thing and i cannot imagine anybody's ever said that before (laughs) the indiana of top 10 teams wow all right carry on and they down. were though. Like that's I know what were. you mean. That's just amazing. It's they they would get so close, but they would always have that one game. Like before every season, you could look at Clemson's schedule and say, "Man, that that looks like it's going to be it right there. They're going to Clemson right there." It it's not some and even during that time when they were Clemsoning over and over and over again every year, all they were doing was continuing to get just a little bit better piece by piece and continuing to assemble more and more talent so that when that time came that they finally did get that break and they finally broke through to that upper echelon they had a lot of talent in place already and then talent just started coming in droves i mean Dabo swinney can get any five star he wants it seems these days they they might finish with the best recruiting class ever in this cycle it's 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 not it's not an overnight thing. And I know Penn State fans hearing that are going to say, well, this hasn't been overnight. It's been building since they won a Big Ten championship in 2016. That is not a lot of time in the college football world that has passed since then. And I know it's easy to look at what Penn State's done and say, I mean, they why, why shouldn't they be at this point? They've had 10 win seasons. They've gone to New Year's Six Bowls. They've had the success. Yes, they have. But... When you, especially in a place like Pennsylvania, recruiting to recruiting players to come play in the middle of Pennsylvania, sure, Penn State is a prestigious university that has plenty of football history, but it's not like recruiting in Ohio, in an incredibly talent-rich state like Ohio. It's not like recruiting in the South, where even if you're in Alabama, 
or you're at LSU where maybe your state specifically is not quite the maybe not like a top three state talent wise, but you're you're right there with Florida. And even if you're not, you're still in the South. You're still in this very warm weather, um, just football crazy environment. It was always going to take Penn State more than a few years to get to that level of Ohio State. And then the fact that they're playing, the fact that they have Ohio State right next door is another huge factor, right? Once Clemson was firing on all cylinders, Florida State had turned to mush. They had no competition anymore. That's that's the point I want to make here. Um, Ohio State's not going to implode like Florida State did because I don't think Ohio State is run by somebody who I, I, who doesn't care. Jimbo Fisher didn't care. We all know that, and that's what made them implode. And I think Jimbo Fisher let the culture of Florida State get out of hand, and I think they got lucky. That's not happening to Penn State here. The, the Big Ten is light years ahead of the ACC. So I, I agree with the overall with the overall sentiment of your argument uh, that they're on the right trajectory. But the Big Ten's a whole new ball game than the ACC is. Uh, Clemson, you go into Clemson knowing that. All right, odds are if, if there's a big game on our conference network, now that that exists, if it's a big game on ABC. Uh, involving our conference, it's going to be involving us. There, there's no doubt about it. And that you're going to play nationally televised games because you're that good. You're going to go to the playoff. You're going to get all that exposure. It, it, it's a whole different ball game. But overall, they are on the same trajectory. And, and I don't know what Penn State's ceiling is with Ohio State right next door and with all these good teams with really good young coaches in the conference. Because I, I think you'd agree, top to bottom, the Big Ten is – very, very far ahead of the ACC. Would you agree? Oh, easily. I think it's a hard. It's harder to win at Penn State in 2019 than it was at Clemson in 2016. Yeah, no question. Yeah, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's it. There, there's a lot of differences in the in the comparison, but there's also a lot of similarities, and for sure. I, it's it's to me that that's that's what I keep coming back to is that it, the success that Penn State has achieved to this point is awesome. It really it what they what James Franklin has accomplished is in such a short time is unbelievable. But when games like this happen, it's easy to see why they happened. It's it's not it's not this inexplicable thing like Ohio State losing to Purdue. It's that that is something that has there is no logical explanation that you can say, you know, Jeff Brom game planned. Well, well, who really cares if Jeff Brom game planned? Well, it's Ohio State. There is yeah, no you're reason. Purdue. Yeah, there is no reason that that should happen. But when you look at this game, you can say, oh, well, I I can very clearly see why Penn State lost to Minnesota. Yeah, you can you can trace it back to. If not one source and multiple sources. Yeah. And to go off that, Matt, what do you think going forward with a potentially tricky game against Indiana coming up this week? Side note, they were 15 and a half point favorites, and that terrifies me. Yep, I, yeah. I, I, when, I know when Vegas has a weird line, the, the, the usual thought process is to steer into it. But unless they're putting that much stock into Michael Penix's performance and they're, they're expecting a big drop off now that he's out, that line makes no sense to me. Yeah, I, I think there's also probably a degree of maybe Vegas 
you know, it, obviously it's not really Vegas, right? Like after after the first five minutes, the line is open. It becomes to what the betters are thinking, not what Vegas is thinking. Uh, probably some degree of thinking and hoping that Penn State's going to come out with their hair on fire back at home. Um, but you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll and we'll get into that a little more on the preview podcast later in this week. Um, but going forward, Matt, what do you what do you think are the key changes that need to be made for this team? I think that uh, I'll go I'll go mostly defensively because uh, I think offensively we're both going to say it's red zone play calling or finding ways, more creative ways, or just going back to what they know and Noah Kane being healthy. Um, but defensively, I I think I want to see him go more man. You've recruited speed. You've recruited athletes. You need to go man coverage. This zone isn't working. If a quarterback is able to find where the zone is, in a zone, you're assigned, obviously, to that zone. And if you're missing tackles there, there's nobody potentially 10 yards away. And then they just have to make another guy miss, and then they're gone. And we saw that's what Minnesota did. So on defense, I need to see them play more man defense, and I need to see them realize that if the pass rush is not getting home like they want them to do, that they have a plan B. That Those are the two biggest things we need to see from this defense going forward against a pretty, pretty solid Indiana team top to bottom. Yeah, they are. They're, they're a very solid team. And I, I, I agree with you. I, I think I would like to see at the very least, even if it's not a consistent man coverage presence, at least more of it, um, I don't, I don't think they need to be in man all the time, but at least enough of it to try to scare quarterbacks off of just going after those short throws because Penn State has, I mean, for as many deficiencies as Tariq Castrofields has as a cornerback and has shown to have, especially this past week, he's still a, he's still a ball hawk. He still knows how to take the ball away. And I think if you instill a little bit of fear in opposing quarterbacks in that regard, they may be slightly less likely to make those throws. But I think that's the thing for right now. This defense is not does not seem to be instilling fear upon opposing quarterbacks. Even in the games that they've played really well, opposing quarterbacks just seem comfortable. Yeah, they, except for Shea Patterson in the first half. But once he once the game plan changed, he looked really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think Penn State's defense for how good they are. Teams should go in there terrified to play them and should be thinking, I have no idea how we're going to beat them. Or if we don't beat them with X, nothing's going to work. I I don't think anybody feels that way going forward, especially with what we've seen all season work. Yeah, exactly. And uh, for me, I, I agree with you. I think there's obviously some changes that need to be made in the red zone, but at the same time, we've seen them do some really great things in the red zone this season. So I, I'm not, totally sure how to feel about that right at this moment but I think another thing that I need to see I the pass rush it it, they they haven't been as bad as the numbers would suggest because they have been getting some pressure on quarterbacks but Yutogoros Matos Jason Owe Shaka Tony those guys have not been doing what we expected them to do as far as attacking the quarterback and for as well as teams have been able to game plan around them with these quick passes, uh, that does a, that does a lot to neutralize them. At some point, they need to show the ability to make an impact anyway and to be able to transcend that game plan and make their presence felt. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna boast this much talent, they need to show up in the box score. 
or, or at least make it seem like they're making an impact on every drive as opposed to, oh, they made this one big play two drives ago. Maybe it'll come up here. Like they, they need to be impacting every drive. Yeah. And they're just not right now. It's, it's, it's definitely not a matter of talent. There's probably more talent along this defensive line than any spot on the roster, save for maybe, I don't know, maybe tight end, maybe linebacker, just pure linebacker, just pure talent wise. Uh, but they, they have the guys to make an impact. And I don't know if it's, and, and you know, maybe, maybe they don't, maybe we've been overrating them a bit. Maybe it's something to do with the scheme. I don't know, but, but they, they definitely need, they need to step up. Um, and I'm sure there's more about this game we could say. I mean, I, we're going to have a lot of content about, about this loss coming out in the next few days. And we, we could probably talk for hours about what went wrong for Penn state in this game. But if, if we're thinking about what this means going forward, Matt, I, 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 I went on Twitter a little bit and ranted a little bit about what I think, you, you know, I, after losses, I, t- I tend to be more rational than I think most Penn state fans probably are. And, I, I talked a little bit about what what this loss really meant for Penn State, but I'm curious to hear your opinion. What what does this really mean for the Nittany Lions going ahead in the 2019 season? Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, everything in college football, especially for teams operating at, at the way we want Penn State to, it all comes back to the playoff. This doesn't affect Penn State's path to the playoff at all. I, I think we were really talking ourselves into nothing when we were saying a one-loss Penn State team could get in. Because if Oregon or Utah has one loss, and they're the Pac-12 champion, assuming Penn State loses to Ohio State, the the Pac-12 team was getting in. If Oklahoma wins the Big 12 with one loss, Oklahoma's getting in. So that was more of a pipe dream. So if, if this loss killed anything, it was Penn State shot at the Rose Bowl, which sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Um... Penn State's going to head into the third weekend in November, still controlling their own destiny. And that's huge. So, again, the season comes down to Ohio State. And I, and I think it's looking more and more likely that like that game isn't going to be particularly close. But in the grand scheme of things, this loss didn't affect all that much. If, if you are the kind of person who's still on board with Penn State, it's going to the playoff. It just, it just simply didn't. I, it, it was always going to come down to that. The winner of Penn State, Ohio State, was going to get in, and the loser wasn't. We can talk it up all we want, like a one-loss team. It, it, it was unrealistic. Yeah, I, I'm totally where you are. I, if And I, with the caveat being that the winner of the Ohio State-Penn State game also has to win the Big Ten championship. I, I guess we're kind of assuming that that would happen. But, but I think, um, I, 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 um, I know you and I just, we, on the preview podcast, we sound like idiots because we were saying how much more talented this Penn State team is than Minnesota. <laughs> I think Penn State's better than every team in the Big Ten West on a neutral on a neutral site. I agree. So we'll leave it at that. Not that it's a foregone conclusion. I, I, we need to talk about that now after what just happened. But I think Penn State's better by multiple scores than every team in the Big Ten West on a neutral site. Yeah, I'd agree with that, and I, I agree with what you said. It's if if the playoff is what you are thinking about, if that is the only kind of goal you have in your mind as a fan for Penn State. This game changes absolutely nothing because if Penn State beats Ohio State and wins the Big Ten, then they're in. And like Matt said, if they lose to Big, if they lose to Ohio State, they're out. And there was really, 
barring a very close loss to Ohio State and just complete, complete chaos across the country, there was maybe a 5-7% chance that Penn State would have been able to sneak into the playoff with one loss. And that, that, that was just not, it was not a realistic goal. So if you're thinking about the playoff, then nothing should have changed in your mind other than maybe your perception of Penn State's chances against the Buckeyes, like you said, Matt. I think the one thing, the one thing that I think you fans have very much have a right to be wary about and upset about in the aftermath of this is, like you mentioned, the chances for the Rose Bowl, because those have definitely changed now. Had Penn State been able to get through the regular season, lose to Ohio State as likely is going to happen, the Rose Bowl still was going to be basically assured because they were going to easily be the highest ranked Big Ten team and they would have been the clear choice for the clear choice to go to that game. Now they need Minnesota to lose at least one game in the regular season, which could very much happen because very the are still, ha- but I, yeah. I, I think they have to lose too. Cause I think interesting Minnesota would have the tiebreaker. I'm not sure I agree in, in the grand scheme of things. Minnesota would have the tiebreaker. If both teams have two big 10 losses and if Minnesota is the team that actually goes to Indianapolis and they have the head to head and win over Penn state, I think, Minnesota's going over Penn State. Okay, well then let me ask you this question: Where do you think the Gophers are going to be ranked by the playoff committee this week? Oh, great question. Um, okay, Oregon was off this week, if I remember correctly. Yep, both or- both Pac-12 teams were off. Oklahoma um, barely barely won. barely won against Iowa State. I think I think Minnesota jumps them, and they were at nine. Maybe nine, maybe eight, maybe nine. And then where do I think, think Penn State Do you think up? Oklahoma stays under Penn State, or do you think Penn State drops below them? I think, oh man, great question again. I think you have to, I, I think we saw how much this committee valued Penn State and how little they valued Oklahoma in those first rankings by having them below both Pac-12 teams. And for them to go on the road and lose to an 8-0 team, I don't think that loss is all that terrible. So... I think Penn State could get the 10 spot, and I think Oklahoma could drop out of the top 10. Because that's a, that's a at home against an underperforming Iowa State team. I, I, I'm, I think Penn State could be number 10, and I think Oklahoma could be number 11. Yeah, I, it, it really comes down. I mean, we saw last week how little the committee valued what Minnesota had done to this point. Where the Gophers end up landing, I think, is everything as far as, far as where Penn State ends up. I, I think they stay ahead of Oklahoma for the reasons that you said we we saw how we saw how they valued what Penn State had done to this point compared to what Oklahoma had done to me I think well and well here and before I go on let me ask you my follow-up question then let's say Minnesota loses to Wisconsin how far do they drop where's that game at uh let's check Minnesota they play. Here's where, here's where I should do an ad read. Just make up a spot. <laughs> they are at Iowa this week. Okay. They are at Northwestern the week after, and they host Wisconsin in the last game of the regular season. Ooh. How, I think Minnesota's secured no matter what in the top 25 for the rest of the season. I think. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, Unless they were to lose the last three games. Yeah, but they're not. They play Northwestern. They, they play. They play Northwestern. They're not losing. If anybody loses Northwestern, they should be relegated to Division Two. Um, Under. I think 
Minnesota's floor right now is 19. They're, they're not going to drop out of the top 20, even if, if they split Iowa and Wisconsin. Even if they lose both, they probably won't fall out of the top 20. So I think that loss is going to be a really, really strong feather in Penn State's cap. Not that that matters, um, but I, I, I really don't think they're going to fall that far if they were to lose, if they were to split Iowa, Wisconsin. I'd say they're in the 13 to 15 range if they lose both in the 16 to 19 range. Interesting. So I I ask you that because I I think it's you know that Minnesota's team showed a lot of great things. That didn't strike me as a team that's going to finish undefeated. No, in they the regular won't. season. They'll lose one of the two, I think. I think it's pretty reasonable to expect at least one loss. I am not especially if the timing of that loss, especially if that loss is to Wisconsin, I would not at all be surprised. I think when Penn State, if Penn State loses to Ohio State, I could see them probably ending up around uh, 14, maybe, in that range. I could very easily see Minnesota drop to at least that 12, 13, 14 range should they lose to Wisconsin or Iowa for that matter. And then if they win the Big Ten West and they lose to Ohio State, I could very easily see them drop down to 17 maybe. And just by the sheer just I, just by the factor of game. Yeah, just just by the factor of other teams playing games, I I think I could very easily see Penn State moving up at at somebody's expense. I'm not so sure that I'm not so sure that Penn State is eliminated from Rose Bowl contention because I don't think it's that unreasonable to think that a 10 and 2 Penn State team gets in over a what they be 11 and 2 Minnesota team at yeah. that point. Yeah. Who decides that? This is legitimate in me not knowing is that the Rose Bowl selection committee? Or so, or because or, or, or does it automatically go to the next highest ranked Big Ten team? I that's a good question. I don't actually know. I I I feel like I've heard conflicting things over uh, the highest ranked Big Ten team, and I, I I think the committee does get somewhat of a choice. But you know when you when you consider the variables, when you consider the fact that Penn State is, I would say honestly at this point, I'd say likely to finish with a higher ranking than Minnesota, just based on how the schedule is going to fall and when the losses are going to happen. I think Penn state is likely to finish higher. I it's very clear that Penn state has the, has the name brand recognition. They have the Rose bowl knows that their fans are going to travel. I really, I, I think the Rose bowl dream is far from dead at this point. I don't think it's dead. I just think it took a really big hit. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, if they had beaten Minnesota, they would have essentially been guaranteed the Rose Bowl. Oh, yeah, which is great, but... Yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. I, I do think that the New Year's Six goal is... Still there. I, I think it would take losing to Indiana for that to fall off the table. I would be really surprised if... Un, unless Penn State loses to Ohio State, like, 56-10, to 10, I, I think a New Year's Six Bowl is probably still the likely outcome here. But, you know, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm an optimist. I don't know. Outback Bowl. <laughs> with free with Ryan Nanny fr- leading the free way. Free Bloomin' Onions for everybody. 
the question would would we be the bloomin' onion reward? no the sad no it's i'm really mad about this so i'm gonna go on a tangent so the sec and the big 10 in the rose bowl if the big 10 wins you get free in the outback bowl in the outback bowl the big 10 team you get free what kind of shrimp is it what, what's the name of the shrimp isn't a coconut shrimp coconut shrimp well, I have two problems. I'm allergic to both coconuts and shrimp, which just really makes me so sad every time the Big Ten team wins. But Isn't that e- like double jeopardy, though? That means you're fine. That's true. But if the if the SEC team wins, it's free Bloomin' Onions, and I love Bloomin' Onions. So I, I need Penn State to not go to the Outback Bowl so I can root for the SEC team to get free Bloomin' Onions. <laughs> oh, what, a, what, a, what a sad life. What a sad life. Not be- not being able to enjoy the wonder that is coconut shrimp. Having to root for a bowl game based upon your allergy preferences <laughs> or restrictions, whatever it is. This this is the America they wanted. Cowards. Oh, anyway, went out, go to the playoff. Yeah, beat Ohio State. Why not? Uh, and that leads me to the kind of this last, this other point here. Penn State has really struggled in the past years with being able to bounce back from losses from big losses in particular the last two years just soul crushing fourth quarter comeback defeats at the hands of ohio state led to -to back-to-back losses to michigan state which have been well documented we are past that now because we beat the spartans thank the lord do you think that this is going to be a different response from Penn State than we've seen in the past. Because Indiana is a team that very much can take advantage of Penn State if they are not on their A game. Even without Michael Penix, they can. They are a good football team, and they can make the Nittany Lions sweat. Real quick, what do you prefer, 7 Windiana or the 7 Intuzers? Just so I know for how to refer to them as. Mm, I... I think I like I think I like the seven and twosers. I like the seven personally. and twosers a lot. Yeah, I think so, that's really good. <laughs> Do you think that Penn State is going to be able to bounce back differently against the seven and twosers as compared to how they have failed to do so against the Spartans in the last two years? I think they have to. If James Franklin wants to have his word mean anything, he he went on that that fantastic speech with being in the press room uh, when James Franklin had that speech. It was one of the, the coolest moments ever. It was awesome to just sit there and watch the recruits' faces when James Franklin gave that speech and then watch him, how emotional he really was when he gave it. And if he wants that to mean anything, he's got to back it up here. You, you can't make the same mistakes and say you want to be elite. You can't make the same mistakes you made when you were calling yourself just great. So they need to back it up with a big performance and they need to learn. They need to have learned from the mistakes they made each of the past two years and come out there with a vengeance. I think the fact that they're going to be able to do it against a backup quarterback at home for the first time in like a month is huge. But I think they, I think they will come out a little bit stronger, but again, I'm always an optimist. I think they will come out with a different kind of resolve than we've seen out of losses in the past. Um, And I think that's going to start ushering in a new era in that, this whole letdown effect is, is no more. And it got trapped in the land grant trophy with Mark D'Antonio's soul. <laughs> oh goodness. There's a whole, I had to work that. I was trying to find a way to work that in there for like the last like four minutes. And I was just trying to figure out how I'd work Mark D'Antonio's soul in there. There's a whole line of fan fiction. We can write about Mark D'Antonio's horcruxes. Oh God. <laughs> oh God. This is the worst. That's a terrible idea. 
Oh my god. Okay. Well, I know what I'm doing this summer along with whatever other ideas we've come up in the last however many podcasts we've done together now oh, in a row. This is amazing. Um, <laughs> so my, my question kind of to, to stem off what you just said then. The, uh, the teams that lost to Michigan State in the last two years were both uh, pretty, pretty upperclassmen heavy teams the the 2017 team not quite as much uh but they were they were maybe not as upperclassmen heavy but still very experienced this is a very different team in terms of experience do you think the fact that they are younger and haven't 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 seen and gone through as much as those as those 17 and 18 teams have do you think that is a good thing in this regard, I'm actually going to go in the opposite. I think it's I think they are pretty experienced, and I think a lot of the guys who are contributors now were on the team when those 17 and 18 losses happened. And That's I think true. it takes time to change that kind of culture, um, and and what you expect after a loss. And, and I think the no bye week in between is great because you could focus in a lot more and kind of put the loss past you earlier, uh, unlike last season. And I I, I think it, it it helps that these guys are younger or were younger when those losses happened because they, they were here for it. And I think if, if there were any lingering guys who had that kind of mindset after losses, I think uh, uh, by at large, they've moved on from the program. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And it's, I think something we don't talk about enough is the experience that the guys get who are not actually playing in the games yet, just from being in that environment and soaking it in. I know, I know Sean Clifford is – it's been well documented how often Clifford still talks to McSorley, and I'm sure that he observ- observed him a lot over the last two seasons previous to this and seeing how he went about went about his business after those tough losses, and hopefully that's something that he can, he can draw on to help himself move forward. He's just an incredibly competitive kid, and I, I – I think I, I can kind of see both situations playing. I could see him coming out next week just hyper-aggressive and too pumped up and make some mistakes. Did you see his uh, his how emotional he was in his post-game, in his post-game availability? I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched I, that I, video. You hate to see it because you, you never want to see somebody who worked that hard be that bummed and, and put that much blame on himself. But I think he's wired where he's going to turn that into a lot of fuel and because he played well. By at large, the 340 was great. Good for him. Uh, I think he's going to come out with his hair on fire, and I think he's going to be really dialed in and ready to go. He did play well. Um, we're we're going to go off script here for a minute, and that actually kind of leads me to something I was hoping we would touch on would be his interceptions. He so he did play really well, and and I this this game is not this loss was not Sean Clifford's fault by any stretch of the imagination. There is no single player or single unit that this loss could be put on this was true truly a team loss but I think the thing that was disappointing for me when evaluating Sean Clifford in this game was that until his interception against Michigan State a few weeks ago we hadn't seen a truly bad or terrible maybe terrible is a better word terrible decision by Clifford all three, two of his three, inter- the latter two interceptions in, in this game, pretty, pretty impactful, poor decisions, and also poor execution, I would say. Um, 
when you think about the first one, and uh, it it breaks my heart that we're gonna do this, but I I think we need to have a discussion here about Justin Shorter. Okay, I love I love the first one. I love that he went deep, to Justin Shorter. We've been asking I, him. I do we, too. We've been yeah. asking him to throw it deep, and we've been asking him to throw it to Shorter. And Shorter was a five star kid. He needs to go up and make that play. And maybe he's still a little young to be going up against Winfield. Probably gonna be. Is he draft eligible? I believe he is. I believe so. Yeah. If he's not the first safety taken off the board, he's the second. So that's that's a lot to ask the guy to do in his first real jump ball situation. Um, but I, I love that Clifford did it. It didn't work out. We saw it didn't work out for McSorley a lot of times when he threw those kind of balls. But I, I love that he tried it. I, I think that really set the tone for what they were going to try to do, and it just didn't work out. I agree. And I th- there are two, two independent thoughts I had about that interception. One, Clifford has to throw that ball wide. He 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 needs to be able to see that Winfield has position over the top on Shorter, and that if he if he had put that to the long side of the field instead, then Shorter easily run easily runs underneath it. It's an easy touchdown. Yep. But two, and it it's something that I've been thinking about all day, and then the point kind of drove home for me when I watched the Alabama LSU game, and this is not a fair comparison for Justin Shorter because Devonta Smith of Alabama has been there for multiple years. He's an absolute stud. But they Tua threw up a ball to him on the sideline, and it was, it was a 50-50 ball in every sense. But instead of allowing it to be a 50-50 ball, Smith gave the cornerback, I think it was Stingley, he gave him a little bit of a nudge, and then when he didn't wait for the ball to come to him. He took that, he stopped that extra half a step short, jumped up and made the play where the cornerback never had a chance to get the ball. That's what Shorter was not able to do on that play. He, instead of being the one to be the aggressor to go up and make the play, he waited for the ball to come to him. And I think that's that's something that we... that That's something that you expect a five-star receiver to be able to know how to do. You expect him to be the one to be the aggressor in that situation. And... He he's a little bit of a different kind of five-star receiver in that his ranking was so much based on potential because he just didn't get the opportunity to do that in high school. He ran in a he ran in a wing T offense. He barely got the ball. Yeah, that, that that's insane to me that that he was a five-star running the in a, in a triple option high school offense. His five-star was and I think it was well deserved. Don't get me wrong. It was entirely based on his camp performances and his potential. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's something that he could very very easily still reach. It's, oh, it's just I think that... he's going to still reach it, but I think he's never had to do that before, and they asked him to do it against a terrific defender. Probably, um, what's the name of the um, the Big Ten defensive back of the year? What the it's I the for... Big Ten defensive back of the year? Yeah, isn't there a isn't there a word for that? Or what did um what did Desmond King win for know. Iowa twice? Uh, I know the was it the Jim Thorpe Thank you. award? Thank you. Somebody who's got to be in the conversation for that. Yeah, he, yeah, he, I think that's fair. Sure, that I I love that he did it. That, that Clifford took that deep shot. I don't love the game it came in or the matchup it came in. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's he shorter had never been asked to do something like that to this point in his career, and that's a tough situation to that's a tough situation to be thrown into trial by fire. But, you know, it's it's. I agree that I I even at the time I I wasn't upset about it at all. I said, you know, what if 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 Penn State's gonna lose, you might as well, might as well lose going down swinging, and they tried. 
and they gave Shorter the opportunity to go out and make plays, and unfortunately on this day he just wasn't able to do it. Between that and the the drop in the end zone, and he had the the drop on the first pass of the game, it it just wasn't his day. And you you have to think that that first drop probably got in his head a little bit, and for sure, for sure, got in his head. Yeah. So uh, hopefully he comes back and has better days. Um, the other two interceptions, I think there are very fair gripes as to the missed pass interference calls. I think both Hamler and Dotson were pretty clearly interfered with on both of those plays, but especially I, the second one, the second one got to me as a fan watching because Clifford had absolutely no business throwing that football. The one to KJ. Yeah, no, absolutely no business throwing that football. Um, on KJ's end, I think he should have sold it more. I think we saw mm-hmm. we saw on the uh, on the John Reed PI on the third and long, Minnesota receiver sold it. KJ didn't sell it. If KJ sells it or if Jahan sells it in, in the end zone on the on the third one, I think that gets called. They just have to be better at selling it. And it's unfortunate that that's what it comes down to. But it, 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 referees are human. You're gonna have to do it. I, I think if they sell it more, those both get called. And at the end of the day, the second one was a very bad decision by Sean Clifford. Yeah, it's it. I agree. It's it's you know that that's what football is. If you get interfered with, you have to make it very clear that you were interfered with. You're not you're not gaining anything by just toughing it out and saying, ah, well, he hit me, but nothing I can do about it. Like you're there's nothing you're gaining from that. You might as well you might as well make your case for yourself and for your quarterback, but. There, there was no reason, no reason for Clifford to throw that ball into double coverage like that. It was, ju- it was a poor, it was a poor decision from the get go. Um, and then the third one, yeah, I, I think that what made the third one so infuriating is that, yeah, I, I that one I think was even more clear that Dotson was interfered with than the Hamler one on the second pick. But the thing that made it so infuriating is if he actually throws that ball to KJ Hamler, Penn State wins that game. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I really don't have any other words to describe it other than what you said. It was just, it looked like he was rattled. And I said it earlier, it, it, it felt very Pitt 2016, where they where they looked like they were going to will this comeback. And at the end of the day, it was just a rough decision and an overall pretty good play by the defense that just broke our hearts. Yeah, I've seen a lot of comparisons to the to the Iowa game in 2017, but I think that Pitt game in 2016 is the much better comparison because, yeah, like you said, it it was just they were just a couple plays short. Whether it's whether it was that last interception, whether it was the John Reed pass interference, questionable or not, he really he he had no reason to even be. He had no reason to even be within range of making that a questionable interference call in that late third and ten for Minnesota. I know Penn State got the ball back anyway, but that was a lot of time that ticked off the clock between then. Um, whether you're talking about Jahan Dotson tripping on the field monster, the turf monster on that big catch and run, there's they were just just inches away here and there, and it for a team that is not for a team that does not have five stars littered all over the roster, those are the kind of things that you just can't, you can't overcome. Yeah, I agree completely. And then to loop it all the way back around to original point, um, do you think this will be, uh, the team will come out with more resolve than they did after the previous losses we had last year? I know we went pretty far off script, um, but I'm happy we did touch on all those points, but 
I'm actually curious as to your thoughts on this. So I, I'm not sure if I can, I'm not sure if I think it's necessarily that they will come out with more or more or less fire than past teams have in that situation. I think it's just a much better situation. I think playing Indiana at home is a lot different than playing Michigan State at home or Michigan State on the road. For as many offensive deficiencies as Michigan State always has, it's it's a different mindset when you're going up against a Michigan State team than an Indiana team. Just because Penn State has so thoroughly owned Indiana for such a long time. It, the Hoosiers have gotten their wins here and there, but for the most part, Penn State really has dominated this back and forth. So I, I do think I, I think Penn State is going to win this weekend. I think it'll end up being pretty comfortable in the end. And I think that by the time the game is over, that their confidence will be back at a level where it needs to be. But I think if they were if they were playing a team like maybe not a Michigan State this year, but if a, a comparable team to what the Spartans typically are, if they were playing, say, Iowa this week, even at home, I think I would be pretty nervous. Yeah, that that's totally fair. So, so I guess I don't really know. I I I, I could go either way. I, I I could very easily see Clifford over hyping himself, or I could see him really proving himself as a as a guy that can level himself back in. I I think I think either way, I think his experiences of watching McSorley are going to be really what he was able to take away from his experience as McSorley's backup is going to be really telling this week because how he comes out is going to tell us a lot about the makeup he has as a quarterback. And thankfully he has a lot of experience of that experience with that at the high school level. Uh, he, his, he played on a very successful team in his senior year. I think his team just limped into the playoffs. I know he was hurt for a lot of the year. I think they were 500 when they made the playoffs and they ended up going on and winning the championship. Uh, I know he played in that championship game. It was like, I think it was like a couple overtimes and he was hurt the whole time. It's so he's faced, he's faced some, he's faced some tough situations like that, which yeah, which McSorley, I mean, for all the great things Trace McSorley was, he never had to really experience that much in high school. His team went to four straight state championships and only lost once. So it's, I think we're going to learn a lot about Sean Clifford this week. And we'll get into that on the, we'll get into that on the preview podcast a little later this week. But I I think it's about time that we, that we can close the book on this game. It was not Penn State's best performance, but it's the kind of thing that happens. Playoff hope still on the table. Rose bowl still on the table. Everything is still on the table. More to play for than we've ever had in a James Franklin November. Yeah, every everything this team wants is still on the table. This loss changes nothing essentially. So we'll see what they do going forward. Uh, but Penn State was not the only team in action this week in the Big Ten. There's a few other things going on, as hard as it may be or may have been to even attempt to focus on anything else after that game. That's right. Um, Penn State hoops beat Wagner. Penn State impromptu basketball podcast lock in for another hour not only did Penn State hoops beat Wagner but Penn State hockey went on and beat Michigan State on Saturday as well they lost on Friday but they won on Saturday Penn State's women's soccer big 10 champs yeah overall really not a bad weekend really good weekend yeah um elsewhere in the big 10 
Ohio State continued their death machine march. Uh, they beat Maryland by a final of 73 to 14. Man, can you imagine giving up points to Maryland? I can't. No, I, I could never. I, I, I think, if anything, this definitively shows that Penn State is the better team. Yep, I'd agree. Um, and Mike Lockley should be thrown in jail. <laughs> uh, every week we get, every week we just get further and further from that three and zero start. It's it's so sad. It's so sad. There there are three and. Did seven. you see what the line was for the Rutgers game? For the Ohio State Rutgers game? Yeah, I'll let you guess. I don't oh know if you God, saw it. I'll let no. You guess. Um. Well, let's see. This week it was, I think it was forty, like forty-three and a half for the Maryland game. I know because I took it and I won. Good for you. Um, in favor of Ohio State, obviously. Um, I'm gonna guess forty-eight and a half. Higher. No, it went into the fifties. All right, fifty, it's, it's fifty-two at, and a half. It's at Rutgers for what it's worth. Fifty-two and a half. It's fifty. Oh my god! Can you imagine? That's a conference game. That's, is it though? Can we really call Rutgers a conference team? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be. Uh, don't watch that. Not not points, not safe for Fred. work. Don't watch that. Oh my god. Um, elsewhere, Wisconsin beat Iowa twenty four twenty two. I did not get a chance to watch the highlights of this. I knew Wisconsin was up big early. Let me pull this up quick because. Yeah, uh, the Hawkeyes. Yeah, the Hawkeyes quarter. outscored the Badgers sixteen to three in the fourth, and just still came yeah. up a little bit short. Man, I see a Ty- a Tyrone Tracy Jr. seventy five yard pass from Nate Stanley. That'll help. Um, yeah, I mean, good good on the Hawkeyes for putting up a fight here. I I think most probably, I mean, the spread on this was nine and a half, so most people expected Wisconsin to roll in this one. I I'm really not sure what to make of Iowa at this. I don't. They're what they are. Yeah, actually, always, I, I know. They're always going to be actually, what they are. I actually know exactly what to make of Iowa. They're Iowa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, yep. They are literally Iowa. They're the Indiana of Iowa. <laughs> the 2019 Iowa team is the Indiana of Iowa teams. I love this comparison. <laughs> oh, elsewhere, because you know we're a Northwestern podcast now, Purdue no, beat Northwestern. No, we can't talk about this. 24 22 northwestern was winning this game by what 14 nothing yeah 14 nothing they had a lead in this game um they led 16 7 at halftime that's right northwestern got a safety they led 16 7 at halftime and then purdue went on to score uh let's see 14 17 points in the second half to win this by a final of 24 to 22 aiden o'connell former walk-on third string quarterback aiden o'connell 34 for 50 271 yards two touchdowns two picks purdue only ran for 74 yards on the ground north northwestern actually ran for 251 yards on the ground which is kind of amazing 5.6 yards per carry this (laughs) i don't know i i'm I'm finding it harder and harder every week to argue against you that Northwestern is not the worst team. In the They're Big the worst Ten. team in the Big Ten. They're, they would lose to they would lose to Rutgers by four scores on a neutral field. I'll die on this hill. Northwestern. So, if, my dad called me and he doesn't listen to the podcast, uh, um, but he told me he re- he reads the notes in the in the article that we always post uh-huh. about it, and he's like, "Yeah, I know you guys are talking about Northwestern a lot, so I took them." And I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> nope, not what I not what I, not what you should have done. 
So oh, no. it was basically a pick em, or like it might have been Northwestern. My, Northwestern uh, was it was Purdue plus two and a half. Yeah. I know that because I bet Purdue. Yeah. So uh, sorry. Oh, that poor man. <laughs> that poor man. Um, all right. I'm going to name, I'm going to name teams of college football. You tell me if you tell me if Northwestern, I, I won't say, I won't make you answer if Northwestern wins. Tell me if Northwestern keeps it within three points. Okay. Cal. No. Oh God, no. Northwestern would lose by two scores. Hmm. Maybe I'm more. not sure. Cal, I'm Maybe not sure more. Cal could score that much, but that is true. Okay. Still. Um, Vanderbilt. Oh, they'd lose to Vandy. <laughs> They lose to Vandy. Vandy. Vandy beat Missouri, who is pretty good. All right, hold on. I need to SP plus rankings week eleven. Okay, let's see. You you could name probably the entire top twenty five of the FCS, and I would probably pick every single team. Um, That's all right. How about? Oh my god, we're really doing the whole Northwestern segment again. <laughs> um, Arkansas. Uh, they just fired their coach, so yeah. Yeah, they do keep it within three. Yeah, they keep it within. Um, mm. No, uh, Arkansas would win by more than three. How about Buffalo? Uh, Buffalo would win by two scores. <laughs> two scores. Buffalo would win. By, uh, Buffalo would win by at least ten. <laughs> I'm I'm a hundred percent serious. <laughs> this is not at all a joke. I think this this lowly Northwestern just lost at home to a walk on Purdue team. When Northwestern ran for over 200 yards, that's insane. Do you know what? Do you know what uh, Northwestern's SP plus ranking is right now overall? Um, oh God, 96. Take, take a guess. They're, so they're 90. Oh, I was take close. a guess as to Not what. The, take a guess as to what their defense is. Um, ninth. 20. Okay, nice. Good for them. That's that's. Uh, do you know how hard it is to be that to be ranked offense? 90th overall? And have the twentieth best defense. What's their offense then? hundred and twenty sixth. And there are a hundred and thirty teams in the FBS, folks. So that lets y'all. That should tell you all you need to know. They are four places ahead of Akron's offense. Who is zero and eight, or maybe even zero and nine by now? They are ranked worse than UConn's offense. Oh yikes! God. All right, two two more two more. Would they beat them, or would they keep it within three? Syracuse. Oh God, no! They wouldn't keep it within three. Okay. I'm gonna rephrase this one. How many points does Kansas beat them by? Neutral cider. Sure. Twenty-one. <laughs> I'm serious. I could not be any more serious. I think Kansas is twenty-one points better than um, Northwestern. Uh, Vegas, if you need people to set lines to hire somebody other than me, clearly. <laughs> And the most important Big Ten game of the week. Yes, something I want Illinois. to talk about. Yes. Taking the Lovey Show on the road and beating the Spartans on a last-second uh, last second touchdown pass from Brandon Peters to Daniel Barker. Illinois wins 37-34, coming back from, what were they down, 20 points in the second half, they I think they it out, was. They Let's outscored see. the Spartans 27-3 in the fourth quarter and 27-6 overall in the second half. At the end of the third quarter, they were down thirty-one to ten, and they won. Hell yeah, hell yeah! Great for Just, Illinois. I, I don't think oh, we're man. so spoiled because I, I I actually spent a lot of time 
to look for something to be happy about this week on an Illinois Twitter. And these <laughs> Illinois fans could not be happier. And that is just awesome. They're going to win seven games when they beat Northwestern by 97 the final week of the season. Um, so just just great for Illinois. I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled for them. Um, yeah, good for Lovey. Lovey. Lovey took a tough job. And the fact that he got them where they did in, in this amount of time for a guy who was on the hot seat, they should give him a lifetime contract. So so good for Lovey, great for Illinois. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled Mark D'Antonio uh, is lost again. And I think we're, I think his retirement or stepping down is becoming more and more probable. Do you think that Lovey's actually a little upset because now his now his fans will actually start to expect something? Um, I, I, I don't know. I think Illinois fans are just going to be thrilled every time they go to a bowl game. That's I, fair. I, As I, they should I, be. I, I, think, I think Lovey Smith's going to become like a folk hero there if he's not a right. The beard, like he has... Just build a statue of the beard. Yeah, he has, he has all, the, um, all the makings of like a, an absolute icon. Watch him, watch him parlay this back into an NFL job. With how the NFL is going, with hiring Cliff Kingsbury types, and then somebody just goes out and <laughs> hires Lovey Smith. It'll be Pete, Pete Carroll will hire him to be his offense coordinator after Brian Schottenheimer leaves. Yeah, good for him. Good for Lovey. Do you want to take a guess as to how many rushing yards Illinois had in this game? No, oh, wow, I have no idea which way this could go. Um. Is it like, it's going to be something funny. Is it like 42? Is it super low? They had 27 carries for 36 yards. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Mark D'Antonio's on the other end of voodoo this year. It's amazing. Good for Lovey. Good for them. This is Good the most Illinois. amazing box score I've ever seen. This Illinois quarter by quarter, 3-7-0-27. Fourth quarter team. This is amazing. Fourth quarter God. team. I love the Big Ten. So Can much. I just say, Michigan State's performance was the Indiana of their season. Is that uh, Did I use that right? I don't even know all, what that means anymore. It all works. It all, it all works. works. So, oh, man. So Michigan State has Rutgers and Maryland in the last two weeks. If they didn't, there would be a very good – there would be a very clear path to them not being in a bowl game because they have Michigan this week. Yeah, they'll get they'll get they'll get stuck. I don't know. Could Maryland beat them? Oh God! I feel like Maryland could beat them. Th- is it at Maryland? Uh, no, it's home against. Oh, Maryland. they're gonna win that game. Do Do we dare ask if Rutgers could put up a fight? Oh, yeah, I think Rutgers could put up a fight. I'll get I'll tell you what, I'll get on board this train. Uh, old takes old take expose me whatever you want to call it Rutgers beat it's, Mich- a, it's in New Jersey Rutgers beat Michigan State last week of the year it's in New I'll go Jersey. on the record I'll stand by it Rutgers beat Michigan State what, what why not Rutgers beats Michigan State if people are still listening to this podcast at this point <laughs> they can totally I'm fine with that they can know Rutgers beats Michigan State oh my god we should we should stop it's we need to stop <laughs> we've we've gone too we far we talked now. about Northwestern three times we <laughs> In this podcast alone, not in the three times since Bill's been gone. Bill, Bill, you need to come back. Bill, we've, we've this podcast has gone so far off the rails in the last few episodes. It's been amazing. Oh my god! All right, uh, all right. Once again, 
Penn State, unfortunately falling at the hands of Minnesota, 31 to 26. Falling to eight and one, we'll see where they land in the college football playoff rankings on Tuesday. What's your prediction? Where uh, do you think they're going to land? Give me like a. I'll give you. I'm a number. feeling nine. I'm feeling. I'm feeling nine. I'm feeling nine as well. Yeah, I, I could see ten. I don't see them dropping out of the top ten though. Yeah, I I, I agree completely. Yeah, uh, so we'll be back uh, later in the week to preview the Indiana game. I'm sure we'll probably be able to get one of the Crimson Quarry guys on to join us. That's always a good time. Um, as always, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can go ahead and head over to our store, buy some shirts. They're excellent. If you have the chance, please also leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, but iTunes is not the only place you can find us now. If you haven't noticed, you can now find us on uh, the same places we have been, iTunes, Google Play. You can also find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Spotify. That one's big. You can find us on uh, iHeartRadio, apparently. I found that out this past week. Basically, anywhere that podcasts are distributed, you can find Roar Lions Radio now. So uh, please make sure you support the site. Subscribe if you haven't already. That's the best way to get our episodes as quickly into your feed as possible. If and, you, you know. You know you want to hear these episodes. If you find me in person, I will print out a transcript of this episode, and I will read it out loud like a children's book. Only only the northwestern parts, though. Yep. That's another yeah. place you can find the podcast. Physically, come find me. Yeah. Uh, as starting any week now, you you can catch Matt and I's uh, spinoff podcast about just Northwestern uh, coming to bookstores near you at a time time to be determined in the future. <laughs> uh, Matt, anything else you want to say before we end this and the charade. I'm trying to think of a Medill pun, but I can't, which is why I didn't go to Medill. Um, but uh, serious note, um, Penn State's still in a really good spot here. Uh, the loss stings, but this loss didn't sting as bad as some losses in years past. Um, need a big bounce back and not to look past Indiana, but I can think of a, a no more satisfying storyline than Ohio's own son, Sean Clifford, going into Columbus and willing Penn State back into the playoff conversation and knocking Ohio State out. He's coming home. He's coming home. Tell the world he's coming home. That's enough of that. Yeah, I agree. Let's let's let that little let's let that young Saint X man get it back into there and show the Buckeyes what they're missing. Why not? Heck yeah. Why not? All right, we should get out of here. You should get out of here. You should stop listening to this podcast. For myself and for my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, thank you as always for listening. Go State. Go State.